Today on Ag News Daily. The Farm Bill authorizes a couple main programs for the International Food Assistance Portfolio. It authorizes the Title II Commodity Program, which allows us to buy American commodities and ship it abroad. It authorizes the McGovern Dole School Feeding Program, which allows us to have American-style school feeding programs in countries all around the world where that's most needed. Listeners, welcome to November 30th. 2022 Wednesday edition, the Ag News Daily Podcast, brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a full look at their lineup of lubricants, go to mysticlubes.com, M-Y-S-T-I-K, lubes.com. Tanner Witterhoff here, joined with Cassidy Zirkel. And Cassidy, today's my mother's birthday. Oh, that's so exciting, Tanner. Her birthday is pretty close to mine. It's next week. Yeah, she's uh, 40 again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's not true. To wish her a happy birthday from all of the Agnews Daily family. I can do that most certainly. Listeners, if you're having a birthday during the holiday season, I, I one, don't envy you, and two, almost feel bad because I feel like holiday season birthdays sometimes get washed under the rug between Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas and the other celebrations that happen. So I kind of feel bad for you guys with November and December birthdays. Yeah, it works out for your parents when you're a kid. They're like, oh, you need new shoes? That'll be your birthday. Oh, you need toothpaste? That'll be your Christmas gift. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> uh, you poor thing. Well, we teased listeners yesterday, said the crop progress report was delayed one day. So we do have the last crop progress report, the final one of 2022. Winter wheat conditions are on the rise, but they are still the lowest in 20 years. 91% of the winter wheat has emerged as of November 27th. That's equal to last year. However, crop condition says only 34% of this crop is rated good to excellent. Obviously, we're looking at poor growing conditions. Topsoil moisture in the lower 48 was rated at 50%, very short to short and 50% adequate to surplus. So very fine line there, Cassidy, as to where you're at within the United States as to what you're experiencing, drought or too much rain. Well, speaking of drought, Tanner, most people don't think of Washington State as going through a drought, but we've actually been in a drought since I arrived here. And I think it might be starting to clear up a little bit. We're only in a D1 moderate drought here where I am. And yesterday we got our first snow, so hopefully it's coming to an end and the rainy season is actually going to start. Wow. Yeah, we uh, we hope for rain, especially for those uh, in those areas. But if you want to stick on the weather front, we talked yesterday about some of the dangerous storms hitting the southern United States. And out of those, multiple tornadoes did touch down and uh, created some particularly dangerous weather situations. In the south, the National Oceanic Atmosphere Administration said dozens of tornadoes have been uh, touched down throughout southeastern Arkansas, northern and central Louisiana, and central Mississippi. That was happening throughout all over the evening last night. There were some devastatingly dangerous supercells bringing hail the size of baseballs, and they had damaging rains that exceeded 42 miles or damaging winds and rain that exceeded 42 miles per hour. Last reported was more than 17 tornadoes. Of course, most of those were in Mississippi and Louisiana. So we 
wash uh, all the best to our southern listeners and hope everything is well there. But up here in the central part of the United States, Cassidy, we have cold weather forecasted for today. The Corn Belt here is experiencing low wind chills and high wind speeds. The area is forecasted potentially to negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Parts of Nebraska and South Dakota and west central Iowa will see winds gusting from 25 to 30 miles per hour. Those winds may become even stronger, up to 40 miles per hour going into tomorrow. But uh, a big drastic difference there of weather systems across our nation. Yeah, Tanner, this fall and coming into winter, weather systems have been fairly strange, you know, a tornado season where I'm from is usually in the spring. And as you talked about those tornadoes in Arkansas and uh, Louisiana, just about two weeks ago, my hometown was hit pretty bad with some tornadoes. So hopefully that starts to clear up as it gets colder. No kidding. Well, before you get into your next news story, let's take a pause here for a message from our sponsor today. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com. Tanner, switching tracks here to talk about something other than weather, I have a story coming out of Maryland that their ag secretary was actually charged with a hunting violation. Uh, Joseph Bartenfelder was with a group of people hunting on November 24th, and they were close to a cornfield and were charged with hunting on baited land. This fine could be up to $1,500. His son was also charged with two other charges, including hunting game burn with a shotgun that holds more than three shells and another misdemeanor as well. This was with a group of men that he was hunting with. And although this is a minor offense, the article does state that low-level offenses can still be a liability for public officials, as we know. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Secretary of Ag and his office react to this news. Yeah, it is interesting. There are certain positions, you know, for example, me in the banking world, I have to maintain a positive balance in all of my checking accounts. If my checking account or savings account goes below zero, it's a minor offense. A regular person just gets an overdraft fee, but that could be grounds for me getting fired. They want Certain things are almost a no tolerance. So we'll see if that ag secretary also has zero tolerance for their minor offense. Rail strike, Cassidy, is still in the news. The impending rail strike, obviously, we know is looking for resolution prior to December 9th. But Congress appears to be poised to approve uh, some important legislation to get this resolved before December 8th. Following a meeting yesterday, Joe Biden said he was confident that Congress would act. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said they are stressed. They are stressing to the rest of their cohorts that this bill needs to get done quickly. Weighing out the equities, we must avoid a strike. She said union jobs would even be lost. There are a lot of comments coming out of Congress. Let me be clear, said one. Uh, a rail shutdown would devastate our economy without freight rail. 
many U.S. industries would shut down coming from Biden's office. His call for congressional action came after nearly 449 letters coming from various groups throughout uh, the nation asked for reform. However, Cassidy, the rail workers associations are expressing their dismay that Joe Biden is asking for this to happen. A lot of the public comments are coming out saying Joe Biden blew it. The treasurer of the Rail Workers United group said that he had the opportunity to prove his labor-friendly pedigree to millions of workers by simply asking Congress for legislation to take care of a lousy few handful of sick days, stating that the difference in what the concerns are is around pay, sick time, and staff shortages related to time off. So it seems like, Cassidy, some very small items to correct, and Congress should be acting on that. However, it looks like the rail unions are not happy that Congress will step in as they still would like to see their terms met. Four of the 12 railroad unions representing a majority of the railroad rejected that deal, while the other eight have agreed to continue. So we'll see if any updates come out of Congress overnight and into tomorrow, and we'll keep our listeners updated. We'll definitely keep our listeners updated on that, Tanner, and have some conversations coming up with some rail industry experts in the coming weeks. So that will also add to that conversation. I have some news coming from Philadelphia, actually. In 2019, the city uh, announced their new citywide urban agriculture plan called Growing from the Root, and they have this week completed their final meeting to publish their final plan. This plan intends to support and sustain urban agriculture across the city over the next 10 years. The city actually has over 400 community gardens, farms, and growing spaces across Philadelphia, and it's really a great program, but they are being threatened by development and land being taken over by other things. So this plan just intends to help them secure land and areas to have community gardens and growing spaces and continue this development of urban agriculture. Oh, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I always like to see when we can get more of the population involved. The last story I've got here is coming again out of Congress. Livestock groups are very disappointed that the regulatory decision made denying the exemption of application for over hours of service rules for hauling livestock. Obviously, we know that truckers are limited to driving restrictions. Livestock groups said that they were looking for a total of 15 hours in a 16-hour period. Right now, livestock haulers are permitted to drive an exemption zone of 150-mile radius that don't count towards these limits. However, the organizations were looking for, the livestock groups were pushing for the 15-hour drive limit to be extended to outside of that 150-mile radius and request that that would apply to all livestock, insect, and aquatic animal haulers and their drivers. Typically, the regular limits are 11 hours of driving after 10 consecutive off-duty hours. These groups, Cassidy, are stating they made their request mainly because of the for the health and livestock safety that they were going to request these. These groups put together was National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Livestock Marketing Association, American Farm Bureau Federation, 
Beekeeping Federation, Honey Producers Association, and National Aquaculture Association. So they're disappointed in the decision, especially when cattle and beef supply chain issues are looming, especially for those that are hauling out of rural areas, especially out west. So a bummer for our livestock haulers that did not get this exemption passed, but it sounds like lobbyists will continue to push forward. But that's what I've got for news today, Cassidy. Do you have anything else? Well, Tanner, I was just going to say that I did make a good friend from the Livestock Marketing Association that was in that group pushing for that uh, new regulation to pass. So hopefully I can reach out to her and get some more information about this and what they're doing to help it pass in the future. Yes, that's great. Let's pause here one more time for a message from our sponsor today before we close out with markets. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. So let's get right into the markets for today. We're looking mid-morning here. The March contract for corn is down three and a half cents today at 6.65 and a half. The soybeans contract here midday for March is at 14.69. That's up three cents. The wheat contract again, looking to March for this midday is up six and a half cents to 7.88. As we peel over to the livestock markets, everything's in the green today. February live cattle contract at 155 and a half. That is up just six cents for today. Feeder cattle also up the March contract 181 and a half, up just a half for today. Lean hogs also in the green. February contract trading at 84.92 and a half, up seven cents for today. So a good day. It looks like on the market side of things, Cassidy. Let's jump into a conversation that you guys got to have the World Food Program. Well, listeners, I'm here with Chase Sova with the World Food Program. Chase, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your background and what the World Food Program does here in the U.S. Yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Chase Sova. I'm the Senior Director of Public Policy and Research at the World Food Program USA. Uh, WPUSA is a nonprofit organization here in the United States that supports the mission of the global United Nations World Food Program. Uh, I'm originally a Wisconsinite, made my way over to Washington, D.C. after early career with the Food and Agriculture Organization, also based in Rome, Italy, uh, and then have been in the food aid and food assistance space ever ever since. Uh, WFP is a, a massive UN organization, been around for uh, since the 1960s, providing humanitarian food assistance to people who are in need of it around the world. And uh, there's no, no greater time than now to be in that business. Absolutely. And speaking of the UN, we've covered a lot on our show lately, announcements coming out of COP27. And it was a lot of talk that it was very fitting that it was in Egypt with all of the food crisis happening there. So what are some announcements and some changes that came out of that conference? Well, you know, I, th- I think on the whole, agriculture has been fighting for a seat at the table at co- climate change negotiations for over a decade. I remember early on in my career, I was involved in national adaptation programs uh, for smallholder farmers around the world trying to seek some benefit and funding from governments. So, uh, you know, with the pavilion this year at COP27, I think we had a little more visibility coming into that. Uh, you know, the major outcomes last year were around methane emissions and so I think some continued progress 
uh, on that. But uh, not really the space that I follow all that closely. I'm more concerned about the humanitarian food assistance uh, resulting around climate change impacts. You know, right now, as you look to the Horn of Africa, for example, we've got people there who have been waiting three, four years for rain. Uh, and that's where the majority of our focus has been is these real short term solutions to provide people with that humanitarian assistance, but also to try to build resilience among those communities to make sure that we're not saving the same life year in and year out. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I think agriculture in general has has really improved its positioning. People are starting to understand that agriculture is both a driver uh, of climate change and one of the one of the industries that will be most victimized by the impacts of climate change. So, uh, yeah, I think from a, at least a visibility perspective, this year's COP was was quite successful. So we have a lot of factors going into the hunger crisis. You have Russia, Ukraine, you have weather issues, you have climate change. What's the biggest factor right now driving impoverished nations and food insecurity? Yeah, you know, that we kind of think of hunger right now as the three C's, right? It's COVID-19, it's climate change, and it's conflict. And the biggest of those is conflict. Man-made conflict drives the majority of humanitarian hunger emergencies around the world. Um, you know, that's pretty intuitive why that's the case. You know, conflict like that destroys market infrastructure. It destroys agricultural productivity and production. Uh, so it's it's a sort of natural outcome of war uh, to have these these hunger outcomes as a result of that. Uh, but, you know, the climate change thing is very real. You know, we've got folks, uh, like I mentioned, in East Africa who are really suffering right now because of long-term drought. When you go back and start counting the number of climate-related extreme events uh, in the early 90s versus today, you probably have a doubling of the number of events that, like flooding, drought, temperature spikes, those sorts of things, even even sea level rise that we're starting to face with and, and uh, soil salinity because of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think those are the big drivers. Of course, you've got COVID-19 and the lingering economic impacts of that are still affecting a lot of folks in the developing world. Um, there you saw a lot of low and middle income people who didn't rely on aid before the COVID-19 pandemic suddenly thrust into need. Um, so WFP has been responding, especially in urban environments, which isn't a typical demographic that we're serving. Uh, we're doing a lot more in that space as a result of COVID. So it's really those three C's. So when it comes to the services of WP, what are the actionable things that they are doing here in the U.S. and overseas? Right. So the World Food Program is an international organization. We don't work in in the United States, uh, typically working in places where there is, uh, you know, think of the WP as the world safety net, right? When no one else can respond, when people are standing between, uh, you know, themselves and starvation, when those situations are occurring, WP is coming in and providing life-saving assistance. So it's typically happening in in uh, some of the more difficult environments on the planet as a result of war and conflict and climate. Uh, so really, it, it uh, assistance takes a lot of different forms today. Sometimes it comes in the form of cash-based assistance and debit cards that allow people to buy in local and regional markets. Um, other times it comes in the form of American-grown commodities, for example, which is why we're here having this conversation. A uh, big part of the U.S. food aid portfolio is American-grown commodities that are shipped and trucked to people in need and delivered in general distribution sites around the world. Uh, so that's a big, big part of what we do. It's also specialized nutritional products. You know, there is no amount of bulk grain that can bring a child back from the brink of starvation. You really need nutrient-dense foods to be able to do that. So we're delivering a lot of, of American-made and grown peanuts that are processed into ready-to-use therapeutic foods. 
uh, that then go to serve severely uh, or acutely malnourished children. So uh, there's a lot of different interventions. We're also doing a lot with pregnant and nursing mothers, making sure they have the right nutrients for that first thousand days from conception to a child's second birthday. This is another focus area of the World Food Program. And when you talk about your American-made commodities and proteins that you're sending overseas to help people, how much is our drought this summer? I know it really hurt peanut production. How much is that hurting the World Food Program's ability to help others? Well, production shocks just in general, uh, no matter where they are, it, are in, uh, impacting global prices are going to help, uh, are going to really affect the World Food Program. I mean, we're, we're buying four or five million metric tons of product every year to deliver to the 160 million people we're trying to, to reach. So when you have climate shocks, especially multiple bread baskets where, you know, you have production losses, uh, it really drives up the price of food and it means that we're going to reach fewer and fewer people when that happens. Uh, so obviously we want American farms to be as productive as they possibly can be. We want global farms uh, to be producing at their highest possible levels. All of that brings some of the prices down and the cost of providing humanitarian assistance down, which is what we're, what we're looking for right now. Last thing here, Chase. If farmers want to be involved in the World Food Program, help uh, their initiatives, how can they reach y'all and how can they get involved? Yeah, the best way is to visit our website at WPUSA.org. There you're going to find the latest on major hunger emergencies around the world. You can sign up to follow some of our social media channels and, and receive emails from us. Uh, that's the easiest way. There's also, I think, specifically to the farming community, there are good ways to get involved with uh, lawmakers through advocacy actions on our website. Uh, we're coming up into the Farm Bill cycle, of course, here in the next year. We want to make sure that these American-grown commodity programs remain a big part of the U.S. Food Assistance Toolkit. That means leaning on our lawmakers to see that these programs are reauthorized in the coming years. So I think that's a, that's a good place to start. That was one thing that I forgot to ask you about is we heard yesterday in one of the sessions that a lot of the Farm Bill uh, funding goes towards nutrition. How much of that actually helps and what can be done to make this next Farm Bill better for nutrition? Well, let me focus only on the the international portions of that uh, because that's where my expertise lies. Uh, you know, really, it's it's uh, the Farm Bill authorizes a couple main programs for the International Food Assistance Portfolio. It authorizes the Title II Commodity Program, which allows us to buy American commodities and ship it abroad. It authorizes the McGovern Dole School Feeding Program, which allows us to have American-style school feeding programs in countries all around the world where that's most needed. Uh, and then it also funds the Bill Emerson Humanitarian Trust, which is a sort of trust of last resort that we use when other food assistance uh, funding runs dry. Uh, and that's really used only in last-ditch efforts and major emergencies where we need those additional resources. Uh, so that's what we're looking at in the Farm Bill. Uh, we want those programs specifically to be reauthorized. Uh, most of them are have to do with general feeding and less with nutrition. But, of course, we're trying to deliver the right sorts of calories to the right people at the right time. Uh, and we can do that with these programs. Absolutely. Thank you, Chase. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, Tanner, that conversation with Chase was really an insightful one and a great way to learn a little bit of more about the food insecurity going on around the world. Yes, it is. Listeners, continue to stay tuned. We'll be back again Thursday and Friday of this week, full week of Agnes Daily Podcast. But Cassidy, for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.